It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. What's gonna happen tonight? What's gonna happen? We're gonna whoop their Welcome into the Diamond Balls podcast on GoBalls247.com. I am Ben McKee, joined by Wes Rucker and former Tennessee pitcher Will Heflin. And we have a very, very special guest with us on the podcast this afternoon. Joe Doyle, a senior analyst for FSS Plus, does a ton of great work with the draft, does a great job uh, covering the draft, and has had so much great content year-round, but really leading up to the draft, which begins on Sunday, uh, which given... Tennessee went to the College World Series and is very active in the transfer portal. I, I can't believe that the draft is is already here. Uh, and, of course, with the success that Tony Vitello and Tennessee is having, they will have several vols and uh, commits, signees, and, and potential transfers as well uh, drafted in the coming days. So we wanted to get Joe on uh, to break down some of uh, the guys and, and where he thinks that they could go in the draft and just his thoughts on them in general. So, Joe, appreciate you joining us. How you doing? I'm good, I'm good man. I, I'm excited to be back on your guys' show. You guys have treated me well over the years. And, yeah, it looks like another pretty good uh, stacked year for the Vols. It will, absolutely. And and we'll start, obviously, with, with Tennessee. Uh, I, I'm interested to hear your answer uh, with this question uh, because obviously Chase Dolander's probably going top 10, top 15 uh, at minimum, I would say. Let us know if you disagree with that. But who is the Vol that, that you are circling as the one that you're going to bet on to, to be the safest, sure thing in this draft, whether it's Jared Dickey, Andrew Lindsay, Dolander, uh, Seth Halverson, Maui Ahuna. There, there's so many guys. Which one are, are you – betting your mortgage on if you have to, to to pan out and make it to the big leagues and have a nice successful career i mean it depends i like i look at a guy like seth halverson i'm glad you brought him up like i think he's got the floor of a big league reliever i don't think he's got any shot to start at the next level but that's a kid that has huge stuff he's got a pro body um you know he's been a he's been a legitimate prospect going back to 2021 when he was with missouri uh, teams are really excited about him so like while he might not have the upside of a chase dolander Seth Halverson just strikes me as the type of guy that ends up playing in the big leagues with a big fastball for, you know, six, seven, eight years and kind of carving out a nice little name for himself. If you look at kind of the other guys, though, like a guy like Maui Ahuna is definitely going to play in the big leagues. I don't know if it's going to be a starting shortstop role because, uh, you know, I have questions about the bat, but it's one of the best shortstop gloves that we've seen in, in recent memory. And uh, with that, I think comes the the expectation that he's certainly going to be a bench bat, a, a bench defensive replacement at worst. But you know, if we're talking Tennessee baseball, it's hard not to talk about Chase Dolander. I mean, the guy's got four pitches. The sliders, you know, when it's right, immaculate. The fastball, when it's right, and he can get that approach angle a little bit flatter, back to what it was in 2022. You know, he's got, you know, a lot of people are kind of saying, ah, he's probably more of a number three now. I think a lot of people forget we're just a calendar year away from him having some of the most unique stuff uh, college baseball has seen. And so I think, when you take into account the athleticism, the arm talent, the four pitches, like if Dolander just makes a couple tweaks, I think he still has number one ace upside. Yeah, Joe, I was wondering if there was a consensus as to what caused what whatever happened with Dolander this season. It's not like he was bad. He was just certainly not what he was before. And Tennessee even bumped him from Friday to Saturday. And I'm wondering if there's a consensus on 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 what sort of – was it a physical thing? Was it something you couldn't quite figure out? What What's the talk about – because when you go from possible 1-1 to like 110 or 112 or whatever in a year, that's not the worst thing in the world, but it but it's also different. Yeah, I mean, this is actually going to be a really good question for Will. I don't want to get too deep into the nitty-gritty, but long story short is his, his arm slot came up a bit, uh, about three or four inches. He lost some of the flatness in the approach angle of his fastball because of it, and he lost some of the ride on his fastball because of it. Also, his wrist orientation coming through the ball caused him to, you know, kind of get uh, around the ball instead of behind the ball. So he lost some some carry on his fastball because of that. And when you do those things, you also lose some of the sweep that's in your slider, and it gets more gyro instead of sweepy. So those, you know, those two things. I think he was just battling himself all year mechanically. 
Um, but, you know, listening to me explain it and, you know, Will, you could probably explain it even more. Like these are small tweaks. These are little tiny tinkerings that a pro development organization should be able to tap into and get him back to where he was just a year ago. Yeah. Part of playing in the SEC is if you're not 100% dialed in, you can get, you can get beat up pretty good, even when you're as good as Chase Dolander is. Um, so I'm with you. I think the upside is still massive, massive, massive. And he'll, he'll go somewhere in that top 15 pick range and whoever gets him, um, is probably getting a pretty good guy. Um, even for that early, just to, just to carry the load of a pitching staff, kind of like he did in 22. Um, my question was kind of about Maui because he was a guy I was high on the entire year and we saw him kind of battle himself a little bit, kind of deal with some injuries, had a little drama early on, but he played his best baseball late and the arm strength from short is, is, you know, obviously there. Um, I think he could probably play other positions like you mentioned, but kind of what's the buzz around him, maybe, um, catching his stride late you know, seeing some doubles go to, go to left center and, and those sort of things, just obviously the strikeout numbers might be a concern. Um, but where would be your crystal ball on kind of where we see Maui go and what teams are saying about him? I mean, I think Maui Ahuna impressed a lot of people and raised a lot of eyebrows in 2022 at Kansas. And I think that baseball card representation of what he could be might get him drafted in the second round. I personally think he probably fits a little better towards the end of the third or in the fourth round. You know, he's got some pretty significant uh, things that he has to clean up. You know, his, his swing plane is is really steep. His approach and his, uh, you know, his anxiousness to swing the baseball bat is, is well-documented. Obviously, he has a ton of raw power. I mean, everyone saw that he can park a baseball. Uh, but until he kind of proves that he can also hit for average and draw his walks, I think he's going to be a little bit limited offensively so uh, you know you look at what he did in 2022 and, and some of the struggles that he had in 2023 and some of the tinkering that he did in 2023 I think for the glove and the athlete alone it would be a really good value in the third round but um, he might you know sneak into the second round because of uh, how special he is with the glove I want to ask you about a guy who Tony Vitello is hoping will end up being a Vol, and that is Ryan Galaney from Wofford. I think that's honestly for Tennessee fans the, the biggest draft story just because, and no offense to the guys moving on, but Tennessee fans, their minds are already thinking about next year and, and how they can get back to Omaha and, and hopefully uh, get over the hump. And, and win a national championship or, or win more than one game. And for Tennessee's sake, they're hoping that Ryan Galaney is somebody who is going to help them do so. And, and he had a tremendous last two seasons at Wofford, just has a ton of power in the bat, uh, and he's gone up to the Cape Cod. And unfortunately for Tennessee, has been tearing it up. And mm -hmm. his draft stock seems to be rising by the day. I think Tennessee gets more and more nervous by the day. What are your thoughts on, on Ryan Galaney and, and maybe a, a target range in, in the sense of where he could be drafted? Yeah, so I'll be honest. Galaney didn't make my top 600 board. And the reason being is it is very, very difficult uh, to crack that board as a 23-year-old. I mean, you, you have no leverage. Uh, there are concerns that he might ultimately end up at first base at the next level. But in terms of a college performer, like you look at what Jared Wagner did this year at Arkansas. I mean, that he single-handedly carried that offense by himself. And I think Galaney is the type of player that can play third base and replace Zane Denton uh, when we get here to 2024, if he does make it on campus. And I think the interesting thing for it's it's just going to be Galaney's choice because he doesn't have the, the leverage to kind of, you know, name your number type of thing. He's probably going to be offered uh, 125 grand on day three as a 23 year old and he's just gonna have to weigh like hey do i think that i can get the same opportunity after 2024 and enjoy a season uh at the university of tennessee or should i go pro now like should i get this should i get this clock moving so the, the power is huge i mean he's a better runner than a lot of people probably give him credit for absolutely exploded at wofford this year and he's looked really good at katuit and because he's looked so good at katuit and he's faced some really good arms i do think he's going to get drafted it's just going to, like I said, it's going to be up to Galaney as to how much he values a trip uh, to play in the SEC this year. I guess that does tell dovetails nicely into what I was going to ask. Originally, I was going to ask about Dickey, but I imagine we'll get to that in a minute. So I'll just go ahead and ask about Denton now because we're talking about Tennessee and third baseman and all that. 
What, what, how do you see Denton as a prospect? Because, I, I mean, people talk about the arm strength not being great and, and maybe the, the, the lateral quickness over there defensively not being the, the greatest and maybe the bat's not enough to overcome all that. But he's also just a good baseball player, and there's no question about that. How, how do, what, what's the, the, the vibe around Denton at all? Is there one? I mean, there definitely is. Denton is, in baseball circles, incredibly well-respected for the person that he is, too. Like, people have known Zane Denton since 2017, 2018, Mm -hmm. sophomore, junior year of high school. He's always been a big deal. Uh, I think people expected a little bit more out of the bat this season, especially as uh, a little bit of an upperclassman. Uh, And there are certainly some questions about, you know, where does this end up? The arm action is a little bit strange over there. It could end up in left field, I think. Uh, I don't want to, you know, attach his name to first base at this point because I think he's a little bit better athlete and better runner to stay off of first base. But uh, Zane Denton can really hit. He's always been able to hit. And I'm not exactly sure why it didn't click until late this year for the University of Tennessee. But I love Zane Denton as the person. I love the family. And uh, I think Zane does fit in this draft. I just have a hard time figuring out where. I tend to think he's going to be a priority guy at the beginning of uh, day three. So round 11, 12, or 13. And then he's another guy where it's like, hey, I got to figure out if I want to go back to Tennessee and try to run this back or if I'm going to start my pro career now. Yeah, that's certainly certainly interesting to watch kind of him and Galaney. They're in similar spots. Um, mm-hmm. Very. So my question is, there's you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think there's a Brady House um, in this high school class that's coming in. But what's the name we should watch for um, first out of the Tennessee signees at the high school ranks or maybe the junior college ranks um, for somebody that we may lose uh, in the first two first two days or maybe somebody who has um potential to go day three and get a number met that maybe isn't you know 100 percent sold on going to school that's a tough one you know this is actually a little bit of a down year for for tennessee's recruiting class but the guy that i have circled is carson rucker he's a third baseman 6'2 200 pounds out of greenbrier tennessee he was the tennessee player of the year gatorade player of the year uh really an under the radar guy i mean he's jake rucker's little brother a highly accomplished shortstop but a big kid barrel-chested, broad shoulders. Uh, He's got a ton of power. He's got a strong arm. I mean, he's essentially like the inverse of what his brother was. His brother was a little bit more slappy at the plate until until he actually got to his draft-eligible year, began to lift the ball a little bit. I mean, Carson is all juice. Um, So the bat is definitely the calling card on on this guy. I think he could be an above-average regular. I think he could – honestly, I think he could play in 2024 – for Tennessee, if things kind of break right uh, for him with with Galaney and Denton, depending on what happens there, but I think he's going to be a really solid addition to um, to the University of Tennessee and following his brother's footsteps. And you know, Jake was a really good player, and I think Carson's going to follow suit. Yeah, and and I think Carson is the the second one that Tennessee is most nervous about. I, I think it's Galaney, and then it's Carson because uh, we, we talk about Galaney's. Uh, draft stock going up by the day Carson's is as well uh, and, and I'm sure you know this but that's an awesome family uh, Jake who Will played with awesome guy one, one of mm-hmm. the best people uh, I had uh, a coach with Tennessee tell me that if if I could raise my children the way that the Rutgers raise their children I will succeed as as a parent and I thought that was really really cool so uh, Carson is is somebody who Tennessee is nervous about not not super nervous like a Brady house like will mentioned and and there's not an extreme draft risk I think in in Tennessee's class but but there's a couple with Carson being the top guy uh, I think Braden sharp out of Texas is one they're a little nervous about. Yep. Uh, Matthew Dallas as well from the Memphis area, uh, just because they already have plus velocity and, and Dallas is a lefty as well. Derek Schaefer's maybe a name to keep an eye on, but uh, they they feel like the the family is is dead set on not dead set, but pretty comfortable coming to college. Uh, Stone Lawless out of Huntsville, he he's probably yep. dead set I'll on. Tell coming. you the name. Go ahead. I'll tell you the name to watch out for. First of all, Matt Dallas is he's going to be a really tough sign from what I've heard. It sounds like he's going to end up on campus, but he is a guy that should require some development. He's not a, you know, he's not a ready product, but a big sleeper for me is Blake Grimmer. He's a shortstop. He's six foot three, 180 pounds. They're, uh, they're, they're actually pulling him down from, from spring Lake, uh, Michigan. And for, for every hitter that I've seen this year, Grimmer, was one of the guys that, while he doesn't have the physical tools and the twitch that some of the guys at the top of this class do, Grimmer always had the highest batting average, it seemed like, at every tournament. He just hits and hits and hits. And I think when you 
talk about a left-handed hitting shortstop. Maybe he pulls off a shortstop. I mean, he is, uh, like I said, he's not the twitchiest guy, but he can really, really hit. And I think with when you have a six foot three inch left handed bat, you kind of look at that and you go, man, let's just put 10 pounds on this kid. See if we can really get him whipping that bat and and see what he can turn into, because uh, I think he's a pretty significant sleeper for the University of Tennessee in this draft. And and he's a name that has been brought up to me by Tennessee in, in terms of them liking his bat. I, I think I don't know if it was done on purpose, but like the last two classes for Tennessee, like Tennessee has has struck the perfect balance of of yep. getting high level recruits like a Reese Chapman, Dylan Dryling, Alex Stanwich, who is now transferred away, but uh, guys like that and and the Carson Ruckers and the Matthew Dallas is like they're high level prospects that will be really good players in the SEC. But you're also barely avoiding the the draft with them, and and we'll see the next two years uh, according to Perfect Game. Tennessee has the number one ranked class and the number two class in 24 and 25. And recruiting yeah. rankings aren't everything, but it's it's kind of the only indicator that that we who are not in the the day to day recruiting uh, have to go by. So we'll we'll see if that changes here coming up, and they have more Brady houses uh, that that go to the league. Speaking of hitters, uh, Jared Dickey is is the one that probably shouldn't come up this late in the conversation uh that's, what that, that's where i was going if it makes you feel better but that was that was my next yes. question so yeah. <laughs> yes i mean b- behind doe i guess of of current vols that, that are in the draft i think behind doe i think jared dickey is the the one that would probably be next off the board to me i mean i tweeted it all year we talked about it on the podcast and i wasn't the only one wes was tweeting it as well will was saying it on the podcast he's just a professional hitter uh and i think i I don't know what position he'll end up playing but i I know he's going to be swinging the bat for a very very long time when is the last time you saw a guy at the college level where we were like even at the college level i don't know where this guy fits like he's catching he's playing center field he's playing a corner like jared dickey was one of the strangest like prospects to profile this year because he wasn't that bad behind the plate now he wasn't you know like a championship caliber you know this is going to be this is going to solve the issue for Tennessee behind the plate but he did get the job done as they were trying to figure out what they were going to do back there I think he's better in center field I think he ultimately ends up uh in left field uh personally but the guy can really hit and I tell you what talk about finishing hot like that guy just tore it up down the stretch for the University of Tennessee and I think he really improved his stock I think he probably raised his stock from a third rounder to you know, maybe he sneaks in in the middle of the second, the late second, but he's got tools. Uh, you know, I've mentioned like the twitch and the athleticism and the hips and some of these guys. That kid, that kid can really move. Like he's an athlete, and I think you kind of uh, you dream on what more power you can unlock uh, at the next level. So I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, the the I know that that Joe talks to a tremendous amount more scouts than I do, but but the couple of the ones that I do talk to uh, during the season, they both. Um, got got went, went a little dark when you mentioned Dickey in terms of like not saying as much and um, yeah. I've been doing this for a while to know that that usually means one of two things either there's a big problem and nobody wants to talk about it or number two they like him he's moving up boards and they don't want to talk about it uh, because he kind of was like almost like a cult player at first because you didn't know where he was going to go where he was going to do but he can hit righties he can hit lefties he's got a little bit of pop there he's a much <laughs> better athlete than most people think he probably is so th- there's yeah. lots of stuff in there there um that I, I was just curious that's where i was going to ask next if he could sneak into the second round because i heard some people saying second round and 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 so that kind of stuff but i guess is there anyone else from that tennessee roster the current players now who could be more interesting prospects than maybe we think they are and, and obviously none of them are sure things no, nothing is a sure thing at this level but guys who have a better chance um, maybe to go do something than we think they do. And it could be a totally out of left field name because because there's some interesting guys in that mix, I think. Well, I think the name that we haven't talked about yet is Andrew Lindsay. Um, just a totally just a totally green arm. I mean, he gave up the game, uh, focused on on mental health and focused on getting himself right, comes back, pitches at the University of Tennessee. I mean, uh, Will, you you can you can attest to this. Like that guy is a he's a really impressive mover on the mound. He can really get down the mound. He extends well. And he, I mean, he was throwing 90, 91 mile an hour cutters. And everyone's like, who is this kid? Like, where, where was this at Charlotte? So good mover up to nine. I think he was up to 97 this year. He might have even touched 98. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but he he's did. throwing a firm cutter. He's throwing a mid 80s slider, you know, just kind of getting everything off of the barrel. I think teams probably view that as this is, there's a lot of untapped clay here. Like, this kid can. This kid can work a baseball in ways that I don't even think he understands that he can work a baseball. And 
if you can add a splitter or a circle change or just anything that goes the other direction, I think he's a guy that can start at the next level. And when you're buying arms in the third, fourth round, you're looking for guys that have the ability as athletic moving pitchers to start with a feel for three pitches. You know, he's got the fastball cutter slider. I just wonder if he can if he can pronate enough to get a ball moving the other direction, because if he can, I think he's got mid rotation upside at the next level. Yeah, he really spins the ball. His, his spin numbers, from what I heard, this is even before the season started. People mm-hmm. were talking about his spin numbers being several, several hundred uh, above the average for both his fastball and, and breaking the, ball. And yeah, and they're on the fastball, which is nutty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, the average fastball, I think, is 2,200, 2,250, 2,240, right in there. I think he's spinning the fastball over 2,500, which mm-hmm. is elite, elite, elite stuff for a heater. Uh, and I think those just intrinsic abilities for a guy those generally go off the board pretty early. Yeah, and he's very effortless too, which I, I know is another buzzword um, when mm-hmm. we're talking prospects. I mean, he just looks like he's flicking it, and that's to your point about how well he moves is, um, you know, that's kind of something him and Dolander look fairly similar um, in terms of their effort level delivering to the plate. So staying on the pitcher um, questions, let me ask you, so I know it's different now with 20 rounds. Um, as opposed to 40, but the guy I think of is Sean Hunley, who went um, late to the Rays my year in 21, and is just tearing it up through the through the ranks. He's in AAA now. Is there a guy that may go late in this draft who you think um, has a shot, whether it's Hollis Fanning, Zach Joyce? Um, I know Hollis is transferring out, but he certainly created some, some buzz there with how big he is and um, you know, behind Dolander and Halverson and Lindsay, the guys who are for sure getting drafted, who might that you think probably has a good shot? Isn't it fun doing this because Tennessee just has arm after arm after arm? <laughs> we like guys exactly. that didn't even throw who are just I'm, – I'm saying, man, like they have guys that didn't even throw. They haven't thrown since like November of last year, and it's like, oh, that guy's a legit draft, draft prospect. Um, no, so I like Zach Joyce. I think his injury history is something that teams are kind of tracking. You know, he transferred in behind behind his brother and hasn't kind of gotten the, you know, the the momentum that his brother did. I like Zach Joyce. I think he's uh, he's an interesting, like, later round guy. The guy that I really like is Aaron Combs. And I, I don't know if he's going to get picked. We'll see. 6'3", 6'4", 180. I think he's a guy that is going to fit a lot of models. Like, he's another one of those guys that has the, you know, 2,500, 2,550 super spinner fastball that is just really tough to pick up and that sweeping curveball with you know well above average 2700 rpm spin rates in that in the upper 70s i I think he needs to add a legitimate third pitch and you know the slider has kind of shown up here and there but it's very seldomly thrown but i think anytime you have a guy with at least the two pitches that we're talking about in the sweeping breaking ball and the fastball that can get up into the mid to upper 90s with the high spin rates like even if this is a two pitch guy, it's two pitches. Both of them have well above average spin rates. He's shown the ability to put action on the ball. I think as we get to the next level, he's going to have to add velocity to the sweeper for it to actually like survive if it's only a two pitch mix. But I don't know how Tennessee does it. They just have all these guys with the intrinsic ability to spin the baseball, sweep the baseball carry the baseball and all of them and maybe this is just like the the benefit of being a blue chip program where you can bring in the super athletes all of them have the ability to move really well and so Aaron Combs is another one of those guys where I'm like you know Combs Halverson Lindsay Dolander Joyce like I it wouldn't surprise me if Tennessee had like six arms drafted this year yeah, and like Will mentioned, Hollis Fanning is another one that is hoping mm-hmm. uh, to get drafted. Uh, Jake Fitzgibbons, who is in the transfer portal, he's hoping to to possibly sign. I don't know why he entered the portal before Omaha. Like, you go to Omaha, you probably get to pitch in an inning or so, and if you do well there, then you're definitely signing. Um, but Tennessee is going to have several, several arms uh, drafted uh, here in, in the next week or so, once again, under Frank Anderson. Uh, we're joined by Joe Doyle here on the podcast of futurestarseries.com. Does a great job of covering the MLB draft. And, Joe, we'll go around the horn one more time before we get you out of here. I wanted to ask you about some of uh, Tennessee's underclassmen uh, who will be big names in, in next year's draft. Uh, you you can kind of take it wherever you want, but obviously Blake Burke, Christian Moore, 
uh, Drew Beam, those guys. What are your early thoughts on, on maybe where they could go uh, in, in next year's draft? Well, let me start off by saying I want to be the first person on record to say Wyatt Evans is going to be the guy that nobody's talking about that's going to go very, very early. Wyatt Evans is a mountain of a man. He's like 6'7", 6'6", massive curveball, up to 95, 96. I know that they couldn't get him right this year, but watch out for that name. I think he was a favorite to be like the Sunday guy before he just had that general soreness this year. I think next year, obviously, Drew Beam and the big fastball is going to be put into the weekend role. I think he's a guy that could you know, carry the torch and become a first-round type of arm for the University of Tennessee. I think Christian Moore is interesting. I, I hope for Christian Moore's sake they don't miscast him and play him at shortstop. I'm not saying that he would be a bad shortstop, but transitioning that kind of athletic tool set to the next level, it doesn't. I, I personally don't think it it plays at the next level at shortstop. I think he's more of a second or third baseman, and you know he showed the power this year. I'd like to see a little bit less swing and miss from him. Let's finish this thing off with the granddaddy Blake. Uh, like the, maybe him and Nick Kurtz have some of the most effortless, prodigious power I have seen. Like nobody is hitting baseballs like those two. They 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 come through closed. They hit screaming missiles at 116 miles an hour. I, I can't believe Blake Burke was in a like a part time role in 2022. But that's a guy that you know. I think it's always generally tough to guess where a hit first first baseman is going to go in any draft because it is a limited profile but he's got the pure tools at the plate to go in the first round and uh you know some of the highlight real moonshots that he hits are uh are awfully fun to take in so they got a lot of good players uh tennessee should see another year where they get seven eight nine ten guys drafted um and tony vitello just keeps the factory moving yeah, we got to see uh, Blake Burke, and then as an opponent, uh, Joe Vitrano hit some baseballs this year. <laughs> he hit that one yeah. at Neyland that was like 480 feet or something. I don't know if it's landed. It was like a Todd Helton distance shot. And I'm talking Todd Helton from the drop five, bigger barrel era. Yes. Uh, that, that thing yeah, I mean, was, it's like they're, crushed. they're like swinging three irons out there. I mean, the, the ball just flies differently off their bats. I was wondering about – I don't know if there's a way to answer this question. You know, there's so much at play here, but in terms of – the way that that Tennessee has been able to get guys, Ben alluded to this a little bit earlier, who maybe sh- somewhere in hindsight could have gone higher, should have been drafted, should have been signed. Guys like Burke and Dryling in the past two classes who they get on campus and you think, how did they get to campus? Why, how, why was this not a bigger fight to get them to campus? How do programs – like Tennessee, go find guys like that? Because Vandy did it for years and, and still does it to, to an extent, too. A lot of people do. How do you get guys who kind of almost pull the wool over the eyes of, of pro teams and get these kids on campus for two or three years? You know, that's a good question. I don't think there's one answer to that. I yeah. think there's a lot of different things that coaches and advisors and parents and teams tell guys. I, I, I'm not going to, you know, mince my words. There are, you know, coaches and, and advisors that come to kids and say, you should not take anything less than $3 million in the draft. You're a first round talent. Don't let anyone tell you you're not a first round talent. And if someone offers to pay them in the third round, they just say, no, I'm going to go play, you know, I'm going to go play in Starkville or Knoxville or Nashville. I'm, you know, I'm going to go play college ball. I'm going to have fun with it. And especially now the last two years, some of the NIL opportunities that these high schoolers are getting just to come on campus, like the numbers I've heard thrown around for these guys that are projected to be second round picks are like, no, that's a that's a wild annual salary for a teenager. And sometimes that's just a better option than taking the, you know, let's say six or seven hundred thousand dollar signing bonus. Well, what if I told you we're going to pay you a hundred grand and get you an education every year and then you can you know try your luck in the draft again three years from now? I think there's a case to be made that that makes more sense to kind of mature your game. Look at what Dylan Cruz did. I know it's not an NIL deal, but he walked away from mammoth money uh, for the opportunity to play in the SEC. And that's really turned out well for him. So I think there's a lot of contributing factors. I don't think there's one answer, um, but there's certainly um, the short answer would be there are people in all of these kids ears saying the best move for you would be to up your skills in college and get you where you need to be, which is a top, you know, 20 pick. Yeah. I was just wondering, cause the past couple of years they've gotten like Beck on campus and, and Burke and Dryling and guys who it became pretty clear that, that they were whatever 13th round picks or, or later picks. And it's like, wait, wait, what was missing? Did you just grow like three inches and like in the past three months? Like what happened? That did actually happen to Beck. 
Yeah. So, so Beck was a small kid as yeah. a high school junior. He was a really small kid. And then he got very big and very physical. And sometimes you need that runway to, to get on scouts radars. Like a guy you've seen a guy perform for 18 months. Like that's the thing. Like Blake Burke was a guy that kind of popped onto the scene, like February of his draft year, got bigger, got stronger, started annihilating the ball. And when you only show scouts four months of like prodigious power, Sometimes that's not enough for a guy to go, okay, we're going to give this guy $750,000. Or for Beck, you know, I remember as a high school junior, uh, maybe it was late as a sophomore, he was like six feet, 160 pounds, like not a big kid. Um, Dryling is an interesting kid because if I remember correctly, he was just coming from a small area. He didn't do a lot of showcases, didn't do a lot of tournaments, um, but the kid could really, really hit. Sometimes those hidden gems just sneak onto campus. Yeah, it's uh, Blade Tidwell comes to mind talking about yeah, that because he, he came on super – Super strong as a senior over there in Loretto, Tennessee, middle of nowhere. Um, and COVID ended his season and essentially allowed him to sneak under the radar and get on campus. So mm-hmm. since we've got you on here, it's it's mock draft time. The the powers of Twitter we're seeing we're seeing mock drafts roll out. Who is the number one pick according to Joe Doyle? I I mean, if I was the Pirates, I would do Paul Skeens. I think it's the one thing that they're lacking in their organization right now. They're at a competitive point where I think they can turn the page as an organization. They don't have a horse. You know, they don't have a guy that can take the ball every fifth day and give you a legitimate chance to beat someone. And, and Paul Skeens can pitch in the big leagues right now. Um, I don't think he will, but I think in 2024, that's a very real possibility. So, you know, as much as I love Dylan Cruz and I love Wyatt Langford, I think both of them are going to be extremely distinguished pros. I think Paul Skeens is legitimately something that you can't find on the free agent market. He's something that you can't find in most drafts. Whereas I think you can find, you know, if, if you need a, a thumping right fielder, for example, you can go get that, you know, go get Marcelo Zuna for four years, 80 million bucks. They're out there every single winter. Paul Skeens ain't out there. And so I think if you get the opportunity to add that to your organization and get six or seven years of him, I just think it's it's the market inefficiency, and that's the direction that I'd go. Joe, I, I've got two questions for you, and, and we'll get you out here. Uh, I, I do want to go back and, and ask about a pitcher who pitched for Tennessee this past season uh, will be one of the first picks in next year's draft, but will not be pitching at Tennessee next season, mm-hmm. and that is Chase Burns. Uh, I just want to hear your thoughts on him as a prospect and reliever, or, or starter, I, I I think either way, he's going to be dynamite at the next level. I, I believe that if he can consistently land the curveball and change up in addition to the slider fastball, like uh, he showed against Stanford in, in Omaha, uh, because I do think if it's only fastball slider, then yes, to me, he's a bullpen guy. But if he can land that four pitch mix more consistently, I don't see why he can't be next year's version of, of Paul Skeens uh, when he's pitching for a team in purple in the state of Texas next year. Uh, so uh, what are your thoughts on, on Chase Burns and, and who he could be at the next level? Uh, starter, reliever, uh, and where you see him going in, in next year's draft. And, and I obviously know I'm asking you that before he has a, a big season coming up, right? Like Chase Dolander, he was the one being compared to Steven Strasburg and, and Garrett Cole prior to Shoot, this I read the season. article. <laughs> that, that's right. And and now it's uh, now it's uh, Paul Skeens who, who is being compared to that. So just, just your overall thoughts on Chase Burns there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Burns – if if I was Chase, I personally, I would have stayed at the University of Tennessee. I think he's gone through so much change over his, you know, I think he attended three high schools. Like he just hasn't really settled in anywhere. And so I understand that it can be frustrating uh, being moved from a starter role to a bullpen role and flip-flopping and back and forth. And I think that's just college baseball. You know, when you're not throwing strikes and you're not landing your third pitch, sometimes you got, you got to have a guy in there that can give you five, five innings. So um, I'll say this, man, like it, it, Chase Burns has, more than a year before he's going to get drafted and this summer and the spring leading up to uh leading up to the 2024 campaign is usually the year that we see the biggest leap for these college guys so and, and you know look at like paul Skeens, for example is a two-pitch guy but when he throws his change up you know he knows how to throw the change up like he lands it i think chase burns can get there it's just going to be a, a reps and repetition type of thing and uh, we'll see where he ends up pitching. I do think you uh, alluded to a, a pretty good possibility there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think he could be a top 10, top 15 pick. Obviously, the arm is electric and throwing strikes and developing that third pitch is usually the last checkpoint for for every college arm. 
And and then the last thing I have for you, am I crazy? Which I am crazy. Yes, I, I know that. Will and Wes will, will tell you that. But in a baseball sense, am I crazy for slightly preferring Wyatt Langford over Dylan Cruz just because there's a little more pop in that bat? No, I mean, I, I think that's uh, I think that's a really interesting conversation. I think the conversation for draft purposes gets really interesting when you ask how much is Dylan Cruz going to cost versus how much is Wyatt Langford going to cost? Because if the difference is like 800,000, like if you can get Wyatt Langford for eight and a half at the first pick and the other option is Dylan Cruz at the first pick for 9.3, then for draft purposes, I think that's a really compelling case that Wyatt Langford is a far more valuable player, but uh, no, I mean, he's clearly got more power. He's not the athlete in the outfield. He doesn't have the arm that Dylan Cruz does, but I think it's uh, you might even get a consensus opinion that he's going to be a better offensive player than Dylan Cruz will be at the next level. It's certainly a fascinating conversation, and I love Dylan Cruz. I just like that there's a little more pop in, in that bat from from Wyatt, Wyatt Langford, and, and I don't think that he was really talked about enough this, this past season or nice. the past two seasons. So, uh, Joe, we greatly, greatly appreciate your time. How can uh, people uh, follow you and your work and tell us more uh, about uh, who you're working for and kind of what you're doing? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Joe Doyle MILB. Uh, if you like the MLB draft as much as I do, uh, you can find a weekly podcast about it and what's going on with the draft at patreon.com slash overslot. And then I'm working over at futurestarseries.com. We are a uh, amateur baseball showcase company where you float all over the country, seeing these guys, scouting these guys, taking notes, getting run times, getting batted ball data. And um, yeah, we're, we're going to be pushing out a ton of new content, especially as this draft passes uh, kind of focusing in on 2024, 2025. And guys, I have to release a 2026 board when these high school guys don't get drafted. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Talk that about projection. Like, wow. Yeah. Dude, these guys are like, man, it's, you got to do high schoolers in 2026 too. They're like 15. I, it's well, a whole deal, man. It is. We talk all the time about how I, I don't, do not understand how these college coaches are, are getting commitments from eighth and, and ninth graders. Like, how do you project that far out? Like the, the person I was as a eighth grader and, and a freshman was completely different than who I was as a senior in high school. So it's a uh, it's pretty amazing. Especially, but, with the, especially with the scholarship situation, like you only get 11 of them. How are you going to commit to a school as a 14 year old and not know what your scholarship situation is going to be? I know. But it, anyways, it, it, it's wild. But Joe, we greatly appreciate your time. I was telling you before we press record. Greatly enjoy your work. Keep up with it year round, not just during draft season. Draft season. So, uh, for anybody out there who is unfamiliar with Joe's work, please, please go follow him. Uh, you will thoroughly enjoy his coverage of the of the draft year round. So, Joe, appreciate you, my friend. All right, guys, we'll see you. And we'll be right back in just one second here on the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Deucible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found. Welcome back into the Diamond Vols podcast here on GoVols247.com. Ben McKee joined by Wes Rucker and former Tennessee pitcher Will Heflin. A big shout out to Joe Doyle for joining us last segment. Greatly, greatly appreciate uh, his time and the work he does with FutureStarSeries.com. And like you mentioned, you can catch his podcast on uh, Patreon.com slash Overslot. Uh, before we give some of our 
draft thoughts and, and get out of here today. Uh, would like to encourage you to go like, rate, and review the podcast. We would uh, greatly appreciate that. Will, anything that, that stood out to you in particular uh, w- with Joe? I, I thought it was uh, interesting, uh, his, his thoughts on, on Chase. And I, not that it was a groundbreaking opinion, but like it's 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 baseball. It's a game of inches, right? If if Chase can just make a minor tweak here or there, I mean he'll he'll be back to being the dominant guy that we saw when he won SEC Pitcher of the Year last year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other than Joe just being super sharp, and you know, I think all of his takes were backed by good information, and um, just seem you know clearly knows what he's talking about. The thing about Doe um, and just the draft as a whole is baseball's got a weird dynamic of being a performance based so what you what you did in the actual season but also projectability like if when Joe Burrow had his year in 2019 with LSU like he was the clear 1-1 pick right but if somebody kind of comes out of nowhere and has a crazy year in baseball they're still probably not the number 1 pick like you have to have a little bit of hype kind of build up like we've seen with, you know, Dylan Cruz or, um, or even Paul Skeens had hype when he was coming out of air force, um, just being that big projectable guy. So you see chase fall a little bit in the draft because he has a year where he struggles, but he's still going to be a, a top 15 pick. Whereas if the big fastball wasn't there or he didn't have the year in 22 that he had, then he's probably, you know, dropping much further. So I just think it's it, it stinks for him that the year didn't go the way he wanted it to, but he had already put in so much good info and, and you know, built the reputation that he had coming into the year that he's still going to make millions of dollars. Um, and now, now it'll be up to him. So hopefully he finds a good home um, wherever he gets drafted, fits into that system well, and then, you know, just keeps getting better because I think, the opportunity for him to be a frontline MLB starter is going to be there. Um, and then he can make way more if, if he sticks around in the big leagues and that signing bonus is going to feel like, you know, a drop in the bucket for what his potential earnings could be down the road. So, you know, it's all out in front of him for him. And we obviously, obviously wish him the best and want him to go as high as possible. Um, but it's just kind of interesting how the baseball draft is different from other sports. Yeah, I, th- I thought two things there. One with Dolander, I, I think, you know, Joe didn't say this, but I think it's sort of well known it is that the, the kind of person that you're getting with Dolander means quite a bit, too. And I think that's why people are able to kind of view this as the past couple months have not been exactly what anybody wanted, but they feel like they know what they're getting there. You, you talk to the kid, you talk to the people around him. You know what you're getting when you put a kid like that in your organization. So I think they're pretty, um, pretty. They feel pretty good about that, um, which would help him maybe not slide as far as others. But the thing that I hope people take away from it, as much as anything, that whole conversation is an appreciation for just how difficult it is to do what guys like Joe do. Because you you talk about you know the NFL draft and the NBA draft and and how you're having to follow x amount of schools and 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 get get information from overseas and do these other things the MLB draft is like that on like Jose Canseco steroids it it, it, it it's like the amount of just data and information you have to know and the contacts you have to have across not just every you know, college in the country of all 350 or whatever D1 schools. You also got D2 schools. You've also got D3 schools. You've also got high schools. You've also got travel coaches, summer circuit people. You've got an absolutely ridiculous number. Agents. The agents. You The number of people Scouts. and things you have to know to even be remotely competent about that. It is staggering. And the fact that I know Tennessee is one of the more high-profile college programs and has put a lot of people in the draft recently. So in fairness, Tennessee is probably easier to talk about than most other colleges right now. But still the fact that he can jump into a conversation, and for the most part, it sounds like he's been covering and watching Tennessee all year long and it's not a big deal. That is an art. And I don't make it uh, my business to kiss the backside of anyone. Uh, Even ask my wife. I just don't, don't, don't do it. But that guy, what he does... 
I, I'm I'm being honest. It is as difficult a, a job maybe as there is in our business with all the stuff that you have to know and filter. And I just have a lot of respect for him and guys like him uh, who can do what they can do and have that much information because it is astonishing how much information they have to know. And, and there was only like one thing he said that wasn't true or correct or however you want to phrase it. And that was talking about Christian Moore potentially playing shortstop. And, and that's, that's something that we know because we cover on a day-to-day basis. That, if, that it would be sees, suicidal to put in there. Yeah. He sees Maui Ahuna moving on and knows that Christian Moore was a big time shortstop coming out of high school. So he assumes that that could be a, a possible solution. And and again, it's nothing that his own fault for, for not knowing it's just, but the fact that he can still talk about Christian Moore at an elite level and, and we peppered him with questions and like that was the only slight thing that, that he wasn't completely correct on. And he knew to bring up White Evans. Staggering. He knew to bring up White Evans too, who was a guy who I'm like, I'm telling you, he could be a huge, huge, huge well, pick next year. Wes got I, so excited when he said White Evans. He was he like, did. I because said it too. Pe- people I keep people keep you. forgetting what Hashtag kind of an arm new. he's people forget what kind of arm that dude. He he tore the cot a new one last year. I, I just love how much you and Ryan Callahan are alike. And, that and is you all the, just that is the most that is the most hateful thing that anyone has ever said to me in my I, life. I, I will say, let, let's pump the brakes on Wyatt a little bit. I, I think Wyatt has some things that he needs to to get figured out th- this offseason sure. if he wants to have any role on the pitching staff next season. Sure. Uh, so I right now, I would be surprised if he has a draft pick at all next year. I, I think he's got some stuff he needs to to figure out on the mound uh, if if he's going to, to reach that point. But he certainly has the natural talent and, and ability uh, to do that. But and for Chase Dolander's sake, I've seen a lot of mocks of him going to Colorado. Uh, for his sake, let's hope that that doesn't happen, just because it seems impossible to pitch in Colorado. Uh, but no, he, he'll he'll be able to figure it out. I I agree with with you all. Let, let me ask y'all this, and I'm putting y'all on the spot, so I'll I'll give my answer first, uh, so y'all can think about y'all's answer. Uh, it's the same question I asked Joe to to begin. What guy are you riding with? If you had to bet your mortgage. Tennessee guy, uh, current Vol, not not Galaney or high school guy, but uh, Jared Dickey, Dolander, Halverson, Lindsey, Maui, Aaron Combs, anybody that you want to throw out. Wh- which guy are, are you riding with as the most likely and the one you're most sure of, I guess is the better way to say it, of them making it in, in the big leagues and having a nice long career? I'm going Jared Dickey just because, again, I think he's a professional hitter. I, I think that there will always be a spot for him. Uh, you, you see guys with every team in, in Major League Baseball, they they have utility guys. Uh, and, and not that Jared is maybe the traditional utility guy that can play a bunch of different positions at a high level. He, he's more of a, a utility guy because there's not that one position that, that he plays at a, at a high level. And I, I don't mean any disrespect to Jared when I say that. Uh, I think he is a better catcher than probably people realize. He just continued to get banged up and and couldn't get into a rhythm. Uh, I think he has sneaky athleticism out there in the outfield. I I thought he was perfectly fine out there uh, in left field. I'm just saying he's not going to win a gold glove. At least I would be surprised if he does. I hope he does and proves me wrong, but he's getting drafted high because of his bat. And and my point is, like, because of the bat, that's going to translate anywhere, anytime. It doesn't matter where he's slotted in the lineup, top, bottom, middle. You play left field one day, DH, maybe first base. Uh, maybe he can catch. Uh, he, he can play a, a bunch of different positions, and I, I think that versatility will, will serve him well with how great that bat is. And I think he is the one that I would ride with the most. Wes, we'll, we'll start with you. Uh, well, I'll be candid. My answer was going to be Jared Dickey because of the hit tool. Um because I just think he can hit lefties, he can hit righties, he can hit for power, a little bit of average, doesn't strike out a ton, great with two strikes. He's just annoying to get out because he'll just sit there and slap the ball around until he gets one that he likes. Uh, good eye at the plate too, good discipline. Uh, I, I, If I can't say that, I'm my somewhat surprising answer might be Halverson because – that physical build, he's already had some of those arm issues, so you'd like to think maybe some of that stuff's out of the way for him, at least for a while. Uh, and I think 
I'm not totally convinced he can't be a starter. I think he, I, I would put more money on him going to the pen, but he's a guy who I would draft him and I would try to develop him as a starter. And if it didn't work, I would know I could put him in the pen. Um, but I, honestly, I would have said the same thing about Ben Joyce. To, I, I will say until the, the cows come home that I think Ben Joyce could have had a chance to be developed as a starter if people had interest to do it. Look at the kid. He is a brick crap house of a kid. He is gigantic. He absolutely physically could do it. Um, but the Angels wanted to bring him up early, and he's obviously good enough to do that. So I would draft Halverson. I would bet on him to make it as a reliever, but I would try him as a starter first. Do they have to be draft eligible now? It has to be in this year's draft. Is that the question? Yes, that is the question. But after you give that answer, you are more than welcome to to give the thought that you apparently already have. Yeah, well, new, breaking news, it's Drew Beam. Um, <laughs> Drew Beam fanboy, noted number one fanboy. Will have you, look, no, uh, you're not the number one fanboy until you get a picture, or not a picture, a tattoo of Drew Beam somewhere in your body. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not Uncle, doing that. Uncle but, Charlie, number thirty-two, with his autograph, like on the forearm or somewhere, and the purple glove okay. in there too. Well, I think he took Halverson, and you guys took Dickie and Halverson. So, um, if I had to bet my mortgage, I'll take the first rounder. Um, yep. And Chase and Chase Dolander, I, I like those two picks. Um, it came down to to Doe and Maui uh, for me with what I had left. My concern for Maui to have a long career in the big leagues is the, is the swing and miss, and I know they don't really care that much about strikeouts as much as they used to, um, but if he doesn't hit for average in the, at the minor league ranks, um, then it's going to be hard for him to get to get pulled up and, and have an everyday shot at the big leagues. Um, certainly has the talent to do it. We'll see, but I'll go Doe Lander just because he, you know, exactly what you're going to get. And like he was saying with the mechanical tweaks, um, you know, he's got plenty of time to, to figure those things out. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on this. I'm pretty sure he's young for, um, even being a draft eligible junior. I don't think he's like 22 or, and certainly not 23 yet. Um, so he could he could spend a couple years in the minors, get some rhythm, get some get some feel, and just explode onto the scene when he gets his shot. Um, so I'll, I'll go Chase Dolander, which you know kind of seems like <laughs> the the obvious pick if you're just. Well, I, don't, I don't think it is Will, because who gets, who gets drafted first? I don't think it is because to be honest with you. Like, I understand why Chase Dolander will be the first Vol picked, but am I crazy that I have the same amount of confidence in Chase Dolander that I do Andrew Lindsay and Seth Alverson? I mean, I, I love Wes's pick, and I think we're sliding Andrew Lindsay. I, I love Andrew Lindsay and, and his stuff. Like, yeah, I think they can be starters, but at minimum, why can't they have long relievers or long careers as a reliever? Like, I have as much confidence in Doe as I do Halverson and Lindsay. Am I crazy for that? I'm not batting an eye no. if Andrew Lindsay is an MLB starter in like three years. I'm not batting an eye if that happens. No, and you're not crazy. But the the hardest thing about the MLB draft and what makes it so weird, like everything else in our sport that's so weird, go look at the 2017 first-round MLB draft and go look at the 2017 NFL first-round draft. Guys, just it's just – so hard to your point earlier, Wes, about having to get data on so many people. It's just hard to know if a kid's going to pan out. So if you're a top 10 pick in the NFL, you're probably a starter as soon as you get to minicamp, or at least if you're a quarterback, maybe you're the starter in waiting. But if you're like an old lineman, like Dar uh, Mr. Wright, who's going to the bears, like he is going to be on their O line opening day yeah. right and chase dolander is not going to be in the big leagues as soon as he gets drafted so my point about going back to six years ago you're going to know a couple of those names that have made it but there's going to be a lot of guys on there who didn't even make it to the big leagues yeah. and they're first rounders and it's just so weird about baseball um you'll have you'll have guys that go in the 18th round who make it to the big leagues and you'll have guys that go in the first and second who don't even sniff it so it's impossible to tell. We're just throwing pasta at the wall and see what sticks. But, um, you know, I, I think 
Dolander is kind of one of those college arms who you just kind of see has a track record of, of being able to compete at a high level. Kind of reminds me of like a Aaron Nola or something like that. Maybe that's a bad comp, but I just feel like guys who come out of college um, and are used to being that frontline horse of a starter, um, they generally get to the big leagues, even if they're like a three or four um they'll get there and take the ball every fifth day and give you competitive outings. And sometimes Aaron, weird things happen, like Sean Hundley going in the freaking 19th round, which <laughs> Ben's going to laugh at me when I say this and say, Wes knew. I don't know many things. That's but right, I did Wes say, knew. I did say the day, the moment he was drafted, I said, getting guys like Sean Hundley in the 19th round is what makes the Rays the Rays. That's what makes them the Rays, is that they make picks like that that end up being guys who will play in the show. Congratulations, Wes, for saying something that, that everybody was saying. I don't remember you saying it. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. I don't that, remember that, it. That's your fault. That's your fault for not paying close enough attention to me. You know, you're, you're big capital J journalist, Wes Rucker. You weren't paying attention to, to little J journalist, Ben McKee, at the time. You're acting like you weren't the guy that I badly orchestrated a coup for us to hire uh, you Aaron in the first Aaron Judge place. Was, the, was the number 32 overall pick in the first round of his draft, speaking to, to Will's point. I, I mean, just... Thinking back on that just sounds absurd that Aaron Judge, one of the greatest power-hitting bats we've seen in the modern era, go that late in his draft in the first round to to, uh, Will's point. I wanted to get y'all's thoughts. Uh, I think everybody knows that that I kind of like Wyatt Langford a little bit more than than Dylan Cruz. But, Wes, who are you going number one overall? Or I guess those three are going to be the three picks. And what order are you taking those three? And – I know the MLB draft is weird with slot money and all that stuff. Take that out of consideration, just pure talents. How how does your top three shake out? Skeens, Cruz, Langford. I just, Skeens is a potential once in a generation type arm that if you take and it doesn't work out, then that's just weird, but it happens. But if you don't take him, you could be sitting there for a decade going, why did we not take this guy? Um, and, and I would say Cruz over Langford because I do think that Langford has more pop, but Cruz for me is about as can't miss as it gets in terms of like, I know that defensively, offensively hitting for average, I know at the very least, like the very, very least, this is a longtime solid major league baseball player. And with Langford, I'm pretty sure that's the case too, but I just feel even more confident about it with Cruz. So um, I'm going for, I'm going for, uh, I would go for sure, in my mind anyways, it would be Skeens and then Cruz and then Langford. Yeah, and call me crazy, but there's a there's a high school kid who's the number one um, high school prospect named yeah. Max Clark. Yeah. He could shake he could shake things up and it may not go one, two, three. Like what college is he committed to? Uh Vanderbilt. Um Von- he, he, won't, he won't go there. Um but I've seen a couple mocks with him at 1-1, and I'm like, come on. But with when you start talking about the money stuff and the slot and all that all that kind of thing, like he would for sure be the the two or three um, if the other two best high, best college hitters weren't also outfielders. Um, but it could be a could be a slot thing, or maybe he's just that crazy of a high school prospect. I know he has all the hype in the world. Kind of like a reminds me of like Kumar, how popular he was coming out of high school so we'll see but for me it would be paul skeen's number one um and i hate just agreeing on everything but like you you can't pass that up and like he was saying um joe was saying they don't have that horse in the organization like baseball is a little bit different than football where you don't necessarily draft to needs because they're not going to immediately step into your major league club um you kind of just take the best available along with the best uh, deal money-wise. Um, but if you're the Pirates and you don't take Paul Skeens and he turns into Garrett Cole or a healthy Steven Strasburg, then you just look like a fool. So take the best available prospect, and that's that's Paul Skeens. He could pitch in the big leagues yesterday, and what more else do you need? 
I don't know that I would want to take a high school kid if I had a top five overall pick. Like you would have to be for me when you look at the difference in data and how much more we know about college players and the level there, especially if they're an SEC guy, the level of competition they're facing on a on a daily basis. You're basically getting what double A baseball sometimes, uh, more or less there. I, I, I would you would have to be something like a Harper for for me to be like I want to spend guaranteed top five money on you because uh, I, I would want to take with a top five overall pick, I'd want a more consistent hit rate. So I'd, I'd, I'd want to go with college guys in the top five, but that's just me. Yeah, but you saw uh, Matt Holiday's kid last year yep. go, and he – He's tearing it up so I far. I think he's the number one overall prospect in baseball, so – Oh, yeah, like you're going to – you're going to have a guy misses. like that, yeah. then yeah. Yeah, if, it, if it's a, a guy like that or um, Knoxville native Bryce Harper – you know those type of high school guys, and I, I guess technically he was a JUCO guy uh, when he was drafted. But it's got to be like an all-time talent. Jackson Holiday is already tearing it up in the Orioles system, and I remember Pav uh, when we had him on uh, prior to the season starting and did a preview pod with him. He, he I asked him about Jackson Holiday before we press record, and he's like, "Yeah, that kid's a stud." So uh, unless it's somebody like that, I'm not taking a high school guy in the entire first round quite frankly um i am a very cautious person i like to go with what i know and i trust college players more than i trust high school players i, I just don't again aside from the surefire ones like a max clark this year or um jackson holiday and, and there's others like i i just trust college guys more especially with how much better they're being developed nowadays i, I just would not want to risk such a high draft pick on such a huge question mark i would if i had a top five, like if i'm one of the top five in terms of of the financial power of an organization like if i'm the yankees or haha mets or the cubs or the dodgers or, or, or like one of those top five or top six franchises where if you take a high school kid and it doesn't work out, you're like, oh, well, I'll just go buy like a Marcelo Zuna or somebody, and it doesn't really matter. I'll just go buy somebody else to come in and do that. I, I would, as the top five or six, those big-time ones that have money, I would I would take more risks. But if I'm most organizations, I would prefer to take college guys. Yep. It'll be a fun week. I, I love draft time. I, I love the draft in, in all sports, uh, NBA, NFL, MLB. Obviously, I, I enjoy the MLB draft uh, more than the NBA draft because it is so intriguing uh, and, and so many different things go on to go into the draft. And I think people realize, at, at least the common baseball fan uh, realizes. So it, it'll be a fun week uh, in terms of some housekeeping, house cleaning notes. Um, I was hoping that Tennessee would pick up a transfer or two before we recorded this podcast so we could react uh, to their decisions. Uh, I think Billy Amick is one that is nearing a decision, and I have been given no reason to think that Tennessee isn't still as confident on Wednesday at 3.30 when we were, when we are recording this right now than they were on, on Monday or even Sunday, like I posted on our board, on the checkerboard over the weekend, uh, and also stated on the podcast we recorded earlier this week as well. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens there, but we'll I'm not expecting that thing to to go super longer than it already has. So when that happens, whenever we record our next podcast, we'll we'll give thoughts on that, whether he chooses Tennessee or whether he chooses South Carolina or Florida. North Carolina made made a late push. So just something to keep an eye on there. Uh, other notes, I am finally going on vacation on Friday. Going Good out of town. leave, go. Don't come back. Buddy, if I could leave you, I would. Yeah, I know, I know. Why are you wearing LSU colors today? Uh, because this was the uh, the first shirt that was in the pile uh, when I opened up the opened up the the dresser. I was like, I need a shirt. I can't I can't do this in a tank top. So uh, I'll I'll uh, we have guests over like in, on our podcast. So if it's just the three of us like on Zoom, I don't care. But like I had to at least put on a t shirt. Yes, thank you for thank you for doing that. Really, really appreciate that. I I think it says that you're an LSU baseball fan now, but that's just my opinion. Uh, but I, I'm going to be somewhat out of commission uh, over the next week on a cruise ship, and we'll be passing along some notes as it re relates to the draft as best as I can on the cruise ship. So we're recording a podcast with Griffin Merritt on Thursday afternoon, uh, and, and that pod will be out either at the end of this week or we'll wait and hold that uh, after the draft. We haven't quite decided yet. So 
we still got some content coming your way. If you need to get a hold of me, since I will be somewhat out of commission, just shoot me a DM or better yet, be a subscriber to GoVols247.com and shoot me a message in a thread or a private DM on the checkerboard. I would really prefer that method as well. You can help me pay uh, for my kids' food every single night. And, 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 and his well cell phone number is bleep. You can also well, get him me, there. Well, let me pull up Wes's uh, phone number real quick, and I'll give I'll give that one out on the podcast. 865 22 I'll stop right there. Uh, that still that, that 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 still makes it difficult enough. You can do that. Yeah, it starts with the deuce deuce. You you started getting nervous there. I can see it on your face. You're you're starting to get a little. I'm nervous. the guy who can hit the lead if I need to. That that is true. That is correct. Will appreciate you go win some uh, travel baseball games this weekend. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it as always. Go Vols. Thanks, Wesley. Thanks, Ben. For those two knuckleheads, I am Ben McKee. This has been another edition of the Diamond Vols podcast on GoVols247.com. There's that button. And now I can say thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. We always say that, but we always mean it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Ben McKee is Ben McKee 14 on Twitter. Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. And Patrick Brown is P Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And if you just want Tennessee news on Twitter, nothing else, you can get that at twitter.com slash govals247. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals247 where we update that throughout the day, all day, every day, mostly with Tennessee news, uh, but also with news that we think Falls fans will find interesting. Uh, But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water directly from the source, go get that at govals247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Nobody, and I mean nobody, covers Tennessee baseball the way that we do. Also, no one covers the Lady Vols that we do. The award-winning Maria Cornelius does an excellent job covering all things Lady Vols for us all season long. You can get all of that at GoVols247.com. You've also got access there to two forums that run around the clock, got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and discuss anything you want that is not political or religious in nature with us, with thousands of Tennessee fans across the world, and with us who are on the staff. Uh, and, and no one has a more uh, active board with the, the staff members than us. We are proud to be there all the time answering any question that you've got, and you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That is all that it costs, and that's after a quick free trial. And once you pay us that reasonable rate, which is, again, less than one mediocre lunch per month, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, uh, which is an excellent, growing behemoth of a streaming arm there with us here at CBS, Paramount, Viacom, etc. You get every show CBS has ever made commercial-free. You get new movies. You get classic movies that rotate in every single month. Uh, you also get just tons of original content, tons of great original Paramount Plus content. And you also uh, get access to the vaults of uh, Nickelodeon, uh, Smithsonian, uh, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, something for the entire family. All of that, all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. That That is so much stuff. So much stuff. That's a bunch of stuff. Less than one lunch a month. That's all that it costs. So go to GoVols247.com and do that. Take advantage of that. Tell your friends to go do that. Again, thank you for listening. You can always go subscribe to us on every content uh, item, everywhere you can get a podcast. You can get this podcast. So please go do that. Thank you for listening again. And uh, be kind to each other, guys. Just try to be kind to each other. There's just not nearly enough people in this world being kind to each other and having basic human empathy and dignity. Let's be better to each other. Let's be good. See you guys. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. 
This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.